Greetings. Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic, cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend and say lovely, flattering things about us on Twitter and Facebook. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Follow us on Twitter, at, at clergy lay and join our Facebook discussion group. I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician, and this is my brother, Chris, a priest. Hi, Chris. Oh, I thought it was, I, was, I thought I was going to get like a further greeting. Like, how are you? Hi, Kirk. I've fallen into a rut. I say the same thing <laughs> every week. And so I said to myself, self, you're going to say something different this time. Change it up. And so, right. so I did. Yeah. Hi, Kirk. <laughs> Hi. Big week, big week in your house. Huge week in my house, man. Yes, uh, on on many different levels. Um, uh, My mom uh, was here visiting. So that was uh, that was that was that was fun. Uh, She lives a 1000 miles away. Um, She lives near you, but not near me. Uh, you guys all live in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I feel like um, as an extended family, we do a fairly good job, probably B plus in, uh, in traveling to make sure we see each other annually, more than annually, it, it ends up often being. Um, and so she came out to visit. And so it was fun just catching up, you know, uh, uh, mother, mother, son, grandma, grandchild uh, stuff. Um, but also um, her, uh, her husband, Tim, is uh, unusually handy and sort of has a can-do attitude. And, um, and we've had uh, a couple of projects, pending projects, I should say, that have just been open wounds in our house. And uh, do you know, there are some people that just kind of whisk into your life and are like, well, we should do this. I'm like, oh, well, I, I, I will, by which I mean like in the next 10 years. And he's like, well, let's just go to Home Depot right now. <laughs> so, so this was spontaneous. This was- Yes. Yep. Wow. And um, I, uh, I'm naturally optimistic, but there's some things that I'm not good at. I'm not good at home improvement. But when I'm around someone who's, I, I, I kind of, I caught his spontaneity like, mm. like a, like a positive virus, and uh, and so we just went, we went to, we went to Costco. Um, we picked up the flooring that Kim had picked out from their website. It was great. I called beforehand. They actually had it in stock. They didn't have the trim, but we picked up the flooring. We picked up the toilet. I was feeling positive about the toilet because that same toilet two years ago, I had installed downstairs and mm. uh, shockingly, it didn't rock or leak. <laughs> it's been a reliable toilet. Um, and it's, a, it's a great modern water saving toilet with uh, with a mini flush for uh, for small jobs and a, and a larger flush for larger jobs. <laughs> and so, which is, I, I don't, I don't know if you remember our toilet upstairs, but our toilet upstairs is, was that, 
at the end of its days. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was original to the house, which was built in 1972. So, so we, we ripped out the flooring, which that's my wife's favorite part, by the way, in any home improvement project. She leaves for me the actual construction, but for her, like give her a crowbar and she'll like rip up whatever, man, carpet, subfloor, tile, she's on it. So she loved that. Um, and then we just went to it. And um, I, I also had a fun new purchase that I, a fun new toy. I got a miter saw, um, which once you have a miter saw, um, you can kind of- Oh my of, gosh, it opens up all sorts of possibilities. <laughs> yeah. So anything with angles, new trim. Um, so yeah, we put in, put in we, we, we redid basically, uh, our, our new bat, our upstairs bathroom just looks so much better. It's much more functional. Listener, I'm going to say something that's um, mind boggling and, and a bit gross. Our upstairs <laughs> bathroom had carpet. <laughs> and we lived 10 years, 10 plus years with carpet <laughs> in the bathroom with three boys. That's just all I'm going to say. So this is, this is a happy development to actually go to, uh, to actual flooring. Um, also, so that, that was one, one moving part in our house. And, and you, guys are, you guys are so humble about the stuff because uh, you replaced flooring uh, and put some beautiful, was it bamboo? or Bamboo, yeah. Bamboo in, in your living room and in your uh, kitchen. Uh, and uh, your kitchen used to have carpet as well. It was which, the same carpet. That the, which the is carpet. not ideal, and, um, but you installed you installed flooring, so you guys are you guys are pros. You guys Dude, are slowly the, making that house into something quite special. The seventies were a groovy time, man. <laughs> Carpet in the bathroom, uh, and and another moving part that we had during the weekend was um, the last baseball tournament of the year. My youngest son George, he's nine, so the uh, the local nine year old all stars um, from various teams were together playing kind of a regional tournament, and we were hosting it. And in the semifinals, um, he got hit by a pitch in the face. And by in the face, I mean in the nose. And been, by in the nose, I mean immediately he collapsed. And, uh, and suddenly, by immediately he collapsed, I mean immediately he collapsed. The, the left-handers, the, 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 the first thing I saw, he collapsed and he's clutching at his head. And I begin to notice a puddle of blood in the batter's box. Ugh. And I just sprint out there and uh, God bless small town America because immediately um, within three minutes, once we get him off the field uh, there, there's a, there's a, um, a a children's doctor who's there. There's an ER nurse, um, just a bunch of kind of volunteers kind of descended on us, Mm. um, examining him, giving him advice. Uh, Anyhow, his, the thing he was most afraid of was getting it reset. And mm-hmm. so they took the x-ray and, uh, and they happily determined that he does not need it reset. So he's been amused by how he looks. It's funny, like when, um, when actors get prosthetics, uh, get those <laughs> changes. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Nicole Kidman was in this. And The Hours. Yeah, this, oh, this dour, overly serious movie. But do you remember, she didn't even look like herself. No, she and didn't. And the only thing that changed was her nose changed. So George has been looking very different. We've been debating in our house whether he looks like a, like a Klingon or like the Navi from, uh, what was that uh, James Cameron movie 10 years ago that uh, set all records? Oh. Avatar. Avatar, that's right. 
Kirk, would it be cool if if, if I shared uh, some of those pictures, like the Navi picture of with George in? The oh, Facebook he loved group? that so much. That would be that would be super <laughs> okay. cool. We will do that. And then the last thing uh, medically that happened this week that's just been my my world has been upended in the last seventy two hours. I was scheduled to have hernia surgery on Tuesday. Uh, those of you who know me personally know that uh, in March of 2019, I had hernia surgery. Now, I'm a fairly fit um, man for 40. Uh, I've run two marathons. I've been continuing to run, though that's been curtailed a bit by uh, arthritis and doctor's orders to stop running until I get new hips or whatever happens at that point. But I do other things to, to stay healthy. It's kind of part of part of who I am. Um, and this is just, Christopher, something genetically that's assaulted all Haberman males, right? Mm-hmm. Hernias just happened in our family. Um, and uh, and a, a year later, <laughs> on the other side, uh, another one appeared. It's been like whack-a-mole for me. So <laughs> um, I had that scheduled. Um, and then the night before, uh, Monday night, I got a call from the doctor saying that the hospital recommended postponing it and asked me to get a COVID test before, before having the surgery. So, Christopher, your wife has been very fascinated by this because she, she is, um, has this dark fascination with COVID tests, with the uh, nasal swabs, right? Yeah, the brain tickler. I, yeah, I didn't even know this was uh, kind of uh, as harrowing as it was. Oh, so... Sure, so, sure you did. You've heard horror stories, haven't you? Yeah, I, I guess I just kind of glossed over I mean, that. they take this giant cotton swab that you're like, there's no way you're sticking that in me. Well, let me tell you about that. <laughs> so Tuesday afternoon, I, I, I had the thing. I had the thing done. Uh, the I most sh- unpleasant. It sounds so unpleasant, Kirk. It, 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 pe- pe- yeah. People, um... People have discussed it. Like people have had like migraines for days after it. Uh, it messes you up. So, so how was it, Kirk? It it was um, something. So I showed up <laughs> at the testing site, and uh, first of all, I I felt like I had Ebola the way they treated me. So you don't get out of your cars. You sit there, kind of in a line. Well, these people in spacesuits, effectively spacesuits. I mean, they've got face shields. They've got kind of scrubs on their feet. They've got uh, uh, there is nothing if I uh, if I if I spat at them out my car window they would be safe by like three layers, so um, but this lady was great she'd obviously dealt with terrified people with whatever she made it mercifully brief she didn't talk about it too much she gave me the bare minimum information. Um, she didn't show me the instrument that she was going <laughs> to use until the moment she shoved it up my nose she just said. Uh, I don't know what you know about this or what you've read or heard. Um, um, it's actually not painful. It's instead strange or uncomfortable. She said, so put your hands on the steering wheel. And I'm like, I'm thinking why? And very quickly in one motion, she from somewhere pulled <laughs> out this vial. And then out of this vial, like a medieval knight unsheathing a sword, <laughs> pulls out this and it looked to me like a 12 inch wire and to call it a swab <laughs> isn't quite accurate. It's more like a wire, right? Because it's going up into some place where like, if you stuck a Q-tip up there, it would be genuinely painful. And, um, and she's, and I understood immediately why she told me to grab the steering wheel because um, I had to resist the impulse to like, yeah, push her hand away. Right. And it, um, 
it, it kept going up and I was like, okay, it's all the way in my nose. And then it kept going up and I'm like, it's all the way in my nose. And then it kept going up. Now I had read uh, on the CDC website that it'll stimulate something called the lacrimal response. So if you ever sung a requiem, you know, lacrimosa in Latin means to cry or to bewail or to mourn. So the lacrimal response is, um, is anything that makes you cry. So mm -hmm. the only things that have, the only stimuli in my life that has ever made me cry has been exterior stuff in my eye, never stuff oh. in my head. <laughs> so here's this wire behind my eyes and she, she gently, um, not laughing at me, laughing with me, chuckled as I slammed my head against my headrest <laughs> as if I was in a roller coaster. I'm just trying not to move, right? I could tell like movement will make this even more uncomfortable. And I, it, she was right. It wasn't painful. It was rather nerves that I had my whole life that had mm. never been stimulated for being mm. touched. And just when I thought, okay, I can do this. She spun it a quarter turn. <laughs> and I'm like, ah! And then waited a few seconds and she spun it another quarter turn. And I'm like, oh no, I know what she's doing. We're going to, well, I got to do this 360 degrees. And she said, I know this is the longest 30 seconds of your life. Um, and then when she was. So it's not just that they go back there and scrape and tickle your brain. It's, it's got to be in there 30 seconds. Yep. And then she said, then she said, I'm very sorry. I'm about to withdraw it. And that, that sensation you experienced when I, when I inserted it, you're going to feel all over again. And sure enough, all whatever, eight inches or whatever, oh. I, mean, I felt it all over again. And they talk about amputees having phantom pain. Um, again, I wouldn't call it pain. I just had um, phantom sensations throughout the evening then. Like I had that. Like behind your eyes. Behind my <laughs> eyes. Oh. So strange. So, so I know the NBA players, they have to have this done, what, every three days, four days to maintain you know, properly? I, there are other tests, though. I think, that, you know, there's a uh, kind of a mouth swab, like a saliva test. I bet that's what they're getting. Yeah, perhaps. I, I can't imagine anyone would consent for even for millions of dollars to the brain tickler every three days. Yeah. So Lord willing, um, uh, Lord, Lord willing, I'll have my surgery next Tuesday. I'm pending a negative result. Um, only 6.5% of all PA tests are coming back positive. So, um, I, I like uh, listener, if you uh, if you hear this before I get my result, or you, listener, pray for me that that I have my surgery and I can begin recovery because I'm just ready to rip the bandaid off. I just want to have the surgery so I can begin to recover. So that you know by things. Yeah, you you would have had this a while ago, except except uh, you wanted to be. At full strength for vacation, right? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Yes, yeah, Because yeah. because um, th this recovery is is is, is it's a, what six weeks? Uh, it's staggered, right? I think yeah. I forget if it's six weeks or three months before you can lift twenty pounds. I think it's six weeks. Yeah, yeah. I was mm -hmm. more cautious last time. I just wanted to do it by the book. Mm -hmm. This time, I think I'll recognize the various stages of recovery. And yeah, but I know that the listeners are aren't deeply interested in the stages of my hernia recovery. So, well, we, the, we the one thing on. that amused me was 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 uh, knowing just how uh, as you were recovering, just knowing how fragile you, you were, and being <laughs> terrified that your three year old daughter, she was three at the time, yeah, um, would just like jump on you because <laughs> you know three year olds like to uh, sure. play rough, you know. And she loves her daddy and just assumes that I'm indestructible and she can roughhouse <laughs> with me. Yeah. I mean, you've talked about 
um, how uh, breaking your ribs, uh, how coughing and laughing, like when mm -hmm. someone does something comical or funny or intentionally or unintentionally is funny around you, how you just had to stifle the laugh response or sneezing was painful. How but long will you not want to laugh? Well, similarly, the abdominal wall, um, likewise, uh, uh, involuntarily clenches upon coughing, sneezing, or laughing, right? So I had this thing at work. When I went back to work, I was like, hey, guys, I'm not going to laugh at anything you say or do. Um, instead, I'm just going to pound the table, and that'll be my laughter. <laughs> my students, of course, thought that was even more hilarious, which I had to like, no, you're not going to make me laugh. I'm just I'm laughing with you. At faculty meetings, I would just go, and they would, they would roll their eyes and laugh at me. But yeah, so that's how I'm going to be laughing come, come September. So All right. <laughs> Shall we move to the gospel reading? Yeah, very briefly, can I, before we do that, can I, can I ask a, a, about your daughter? Um, she just had two teeth pulled today? Mm-hmm. she okay? Yeah, she's good. She's good. She's, uh, she's a champ. She was not looking forward to it, but she, she's brave, and um, so so she had, uh, she had uh, cavities on these two teeth, but they were uh, baby teeth. Um, one of which, uh, in the X-ray, they could see the adult tooth um, coming in, and they're like, "Yeah, she's gonna lose this in six months, so why don't we just pull it now?" And the other one, she would probably lo lose the next year, and um, rather than fill it, um, they decided to pull it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Kids are, I, I'm always uh, amazed by kids, children's infinite adaptability. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, she's she prone to she's anxiety, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, she also knows how to, um, I mean, when she heard about it, she's kind of freaking out. And when we told her, okay, this is going to be tomorrow, because um, she thought we'd be able to wait wait a while, um, she kind of freaked out. But, but when it came time, she faced the music. Yeah, sometimes Good kids chance. are in strange ways more brave than than adults. I'll just close with this, um, and then we'll do the gospel. Um, George, there have been two times where we've been watching a movie. We'll, we'll talk about that movie at the end of the end of the episode here. Um, watching a movie, and I'm looking over at him, and he's got tissues like balled up against his nose, and I see him like doing a strange facial gesture. I'm like, George, you okay? What are you doing? He's like, Yeah, I'm fine. I'm just swallowing blood, <laughs> as if he was saying, Could you pass the butter? That's funny. that matter of fact. God bless children. All right. Shall we read the gospel? Let's do it. Today's gospel reading comes from Matthew 14, and it is um, immediately after the uh, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Um, so the reading is Matthew 14, chapter, uh, verses 22 to 33. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he, dismissed, after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. 
When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked in the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this, uh, there are times when we encounter gospel readings where we're like, okay, every sermon you've heard on this is wrong. Like, we want to kind of uh, set the record straight here. And then <laughs> there are ones where every sermon you've heard on this is right. And and I would guess that this is the latter, that this is one of those um, where this is one that is preached on very, very well. Um, and uh, so just to, to, to look at the details, um, much like uh, Jesus uh, withdrawing before feeding the 5,000, he withdrew um, because he was sad he heard his cousin john the baptist died um but he also uh, he had a um his prayer life uh, if you look at all the times that jesus spent um praying or withdrawing um for time in prayer with the father uh i mean that's that's something uh, something to take note of um his his prayer life with his father um and something to to uh to seek to emulate um he sends out the the disciples across um across the lake and a squall blew up um this is not uncommon we see another example of, of this happening while jesus is sleeping um and jesus wakes up and calms the storm uh so i mean this is this is something prone to happen on on the sea of galilee and uh in in this case it's it's very i don't know why uh i, I don't know the the details of of like why they were crossing at night um but a very fourth watch, um, I think, was like between three and six a.m. This is so like early hours of morning um, before it's light out. Um, they see Jesus. They think it's a ghost. And uh, what does Jesus say? He says, "It is I," which in the um, in the English translation may not be significant, um, but uh, the Greek is um, "ego eimi." which uh kirk is the same uh same greek words used in all of the i am statements in, oh. in john so that's not insignificant um who is i am well the you know the, the god who revealed himself to moses right 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 i am that i am yeah so jesus says i am it's me um and uh so this this uh, ultimately uh, when when it's talked about it's talked about in terms of faith, and um, and uh, so even though many uh, preachers get this right, uh, it's it would be easy to get it wrong, especially since we see faith uh, oftentimes as a work, or we see faith as 
Um, you know, when we talk about uh, faith as a mustard seed, you know, people are like, ah, well, you know, maybe maybe I should have more faith, and, and if I do, I'll be able to do anything, include, including, like, all these faith healings. Um, and, 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 and we kind of lose the plot um, uh, and kind of lose focus of how, how the Lord works. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think if we're just like, oh, well, we should just be all, all be getting out and walking in the water. Um, so, so just to look at the, the, the basic details here. Um, is that uh, we we shouldn't rag too much. He doesn't just get out of the boat and walk in the water. He says, uh, "Lord, if you command me to come to you on the water, um, if if it is you, command me to come to you on the water." So so he's basically like asking, uh, saying, "Jesus, I know that you have the power to make me walk on water." Um, and uh, so he, in fact, has faith. And um, it's important to remember that he doesn't sink and then become frightened. He becomes frightened and then begins to sink. Ooh, interesting. And yeah. That he loses his focus on Jesus and he begins to look around him. Um, so it's, it's – and, and this is where preachers uh, – tend to focus is is um that when we keep our eyes on jesus um things are good um and it's when we lose sight when we look around uh, because in life uh you know it's a perfect metaphor here that we are all in a storm um that when the storms of life are raging uh is, is a great hymn um Keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, stop looking at the waves and, and, and just the, the, the grave danger around you. And instead, focus your, uh, fix your eyes on Jesus. And, um, you know, the, the lectionary has been going through Romans. Kirk, I know that you preached uh, last Sunday on, on Romans. You don't, you, don't preach, you don't preach super often, you know, a few times a year. But you happen to preach uh, on, on the Romans reading. And, 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 and what's great about Romans, um, when it talks about all things coming together for good, for those that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose— this is this is not um, that uh, those who are Christians get everything they want, or that they have a life free from pain and suffering. Uh, that's not it. Um, the, the reality is that uh, uh, we already have the treasure. That the treasure isn't. Um, uh, so to contrast um, biblical teaching with uh, prosperity gospel teaching, prosperity gospel says uh, faithfulness equals earthly riches. Um, uh, the Bible's uh, the Bible's perspective is more um, seek Jesus um, for for He is the treasure and like He is like He is the one that 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 um, uh, possession of Jesus like. When when we possess him as ours, we we can claim him as our own, um, and we can and, and it's so sweet to trust in him. Uh, when we live that life, um, that itself is the good thing. Mm. Um, that is the good life. Uh, is 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 Christ, and um, so we have all this wonderful imagery of of the storms of life raging. Um, of 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 course, Kirk, you've talked a bit, a bit about church architecture, um, and in fact the. the altar rail is is um by the altar um but the part where people the people sit is called the nave 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the nave is actually like uh, boat terminology. Like it represent, and if you look at a nave, it kind of looks like an upside down boat. Yes. Um, and yes, so like, yes. and so um, I, I found this wonderful. Um, I've been reading through Stanley Hauerwas's commentary on on the Book of Matthew, uh, which is quite good. And and um, he, he talks about the church as the Ark of the Kingdom, and um, and uh, we often find ourselves, you know, far from. You know what? I'm going to read the, this whole quote. This is a great paragraph. All right. Soon Jesus will rename Simon as Peter and declare that on this rock, Jesus' church will be built, making this story ripe with ecclesiological implications. The church is the ark of the kingdom, but often the church finds herself far from shore and threatened by strong winds and waves. Those in the boat often fail to understand that they are meant to be far from... I'm sorry. Those in the boat often fail to understand that they are meant to be far from shore, and that to be threatened by a storm is not unusual. If the church is faithful, she will always be far from the shore. Some, moreover, will be commanded to leave even the safety of the boat and to walk on water. Um, which I found to, to be just a, a powerful thought um, that uh, oftentimes... Uh, uh, I, I, I love the... One of my favorite verses is, you know, do not be surprised... Um, this is from First Peter um, by the fiery trial. <laughs> Don't be well, surprised as though something strange were happening to you. Well, also um, from First Peter, think First um, Peter three twenty one. Um, whereas in former days, uh, well, let, let me read this. Um, uh, because formerly they did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. water. Baptism which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that is to say, the church is the new ark. When you're baptized into mm. church, this mm. is the thing, this, the, the vessel that will save you from the storm. Um, and mm-hmm. so um, when you have church architecture that has that, the, um, the upside down um, a boat, the upside down nave um, above you so that every time your eyes are drawn upwards, either in prayer or the sermon's going long or whatever, um, you're reminded, I am in the ark. I am in the new ark of the new covenant. Um, yeah. So not, not to, not to hijack your point, but yeah, mo- there, there, there are multiple ways in which that is, that is so fitting that, that architecture, um, multiple passages. Yeah. But I, but I uh, totally derailed. You were no, you, you didn't. Were, uh, very thoughtfully. I was, I, that, that was my. I wrapped up. All right. Yeah. So, um, uh, I, I I told you pre-show that this was um, one of the Bible stories for me. You and you and I talked about uh, the series of 1980 cartoons hmm. that we saw. Uh, was it Hanna Barbera? We were trying to mm-hmm. remember the name. Um, and, and the depiction of this story: Jesus walking in water. Um, was very striking to the to Kirk the boy. Mm. Um, it was it was more more so than than the healings. Obviously, the healings are miraculous, and I I, I rightly saw them as miraculous and as signs of um, his uh, Christ's divinity and his calling. Uh, but but this there was something strikingly supernatural about this. Um, that was that was shaking, right? Especially when you're watching a depiction of this, or you see a picture of it, and you see the wind, and it's usually depicted at night, and um, and Peter, 
in in how how wonderfully Peter is this. Um, we see so vividly his personality through the Gospels, and um, even in his his epistles and in the Book of Acts as well. Um, that that he is the one who in a who in a fit of boldness. Um, not planned out, <laughs> just spontaneous boldness. Says mm-hmm. uh, he strikes out and steps out of the boat, and then when he when he shakes and he begins to sink, I remember getting panicked. Um, this was very striking to me as a child, and um, and uh, I'll talk about later in the show. I want to talk about um, how important it is to to just read these passages to children without moralizing them necessarily mm. because. Um, they're rich depictions of important lessons that later the adult version of that child will be able to draw on um, this rich well, this rich cupboard of, um, of biblical narratives. Uh, but this was striking to me as a child. And um, I, I think perhaps uh, on its face to a child or to the reader at first, um, there can be a bit of Pelagianism that creeps in. Um, that is, if you, if you only have perfect faith, right, walk right. on water. And if you don't, you'll sink. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that you pointed out that that's not actually what happens in the text. Um, if, we, if we look at what happens in the text, um, you see that Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come out in the water, right? And, and he says, come. And so to Peter, this is reassurance. Um, and of course, we all look for reassurance from our Lord. So Peter does get out of the boat and he walks on the water and he comes to Jesus. Um, and you, thank you for pointing out that it's the moment that he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he looks, he looks at the wind. Um, and it's at that point that he begins to sink. But notice Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And this should always be our prayer um, when the mm. winds begin to sink us, mm. um, literally yes. and metaphorically in life. And, and this is where uh, St. Peter is, is certainly a credible model to us. And our Lord does not abandon him in that prayer, Lord, save me. And that's, I think, as well, uh, very important. Um, I, I talked to you as well, pre-show. Um, I've, been in, I've been in a couple of situations in the last day, um, meetings, um, where I've seen palpable, a crippling fear that is, mm-hmm. that is, that is cer- almost certainly a spiritual oppression. It has that, has that feel to it. Um, in this time of coronavirus, people that are terrified of um, situations that they're going to be put in in the fall with the resumption of school. Um, and I, I shared with you this summer, I read Dune through the series of Dune and uh, uh, Jessica Atreides, um, the, wife, the wife of Duke Atreides, she's a, she's a part of this particular religious sect and they have this mantra. Um, Frank Herbert, the author, in, in this religion, he taught that, that fear is the enemy of, of right reason and of um, a proper response in any situation. And so this mantra, anytime Jessica felt the, the wife of the Duke, actually she was the concubine of the Duke, but <laughs> anytime she felt, she felt um, fear rising up, she repeated this mantra, fear is the mind killer. Fear is the mind killer. Mm. Fear is the mind killer. By the way, you will you will come across that in book one of the Expanse, Christopher, which mm. I sent with my home with mom with you. Um, that that actually that is a, a a little nerd shout out. That's a, a, an Easter egg that's laid in there um, mm. with one of the characters. But anyhow, um, I've been reminded of that. Um, uh, fear fear is not. I'm not saying that Frank Herbert was a Christian, um, but but fear is not of the Lord, and mm. it, it caused Saint Peter to take his mind off of God. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so I don't think that's Pelagian or that's moralizing to say that, um, that, 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 that we are safe when our eyes are fixed on our Savior. Amen? Amen. Shall we move on to our theology uh, segment? Or happy, no? Before, before we do, um, c- can you define Pelagianism? Thank uh, you. Just, yeah. yeah. So, and this is um, you and I as <laughs> so you and I as Ang- Anglicans, um, we got we have to own this man. <laughs> so many of the great heretics were were uh, were Italians or Egyptians or various Mediterranean folk um, in the early church. However, Pelagius was. A Brit. <laughs> so Pelagianism, um, both historically well, and the way it plays out, is kind of the English heresy. Well, would it be um, appropriate, just a, a shorthand, to say that it's kind of bootstrap Christianity? Yeah, yeah. So Pelagianism believed that um, that there was an important aspect of holiness and moral self-improvement that we did on our own to meet God. Uh, and uh, that is just not the gospel. <laughs> the no. gospel, especially when we read, as we're going through St. Matthew's gospel, what does uh, St. Matthew um, say that Christ said um, about the law? I came to fulfill the law, <laughs> right? It's not, um, I, I came to help you fulfill the law. Um, so the, 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 the gospel is, uh, to, to quote Alcoholics Anonymous, right? I can't, he can let him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in some ways, and Pelagianism, uh, in shorthand, right? Bootstrap Christianity is that um, uh, uh, I can through God's help, uh, right? And that right. anyone who's ever been in a breakdown or a moment of like Saint Peter's terror on the water, um, if you've ever hit bottom, you realize that you can't, that you will sink, and that is when you realize the true sweetness of the gospel. And Pelagianism will not save you, but the gospel will. Yeah, and, and I don't want to dwell on this too long. Maybe we ought to dedicate an entire segment to it. But yeah. mean, Pelagianism um, is, is, is definitely present today in, in Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, in America, you know, Americans, we're kind of bootstrap people. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of churches kind of um, kind of offer tips and kind of, um, kind of advice for moral living. Um, and, and can get away from the, the simple truth of the gospel that, that Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Um, and, and that's an important thing because, I mean, there's a tension, um, you know, people who are um, – there, there's a, a, a kind of a separate division. So uh, even apart from Pelagianism, um, there's a discussion, a uh, difference between monergism – synergists are like no but we, you know but we have a, we have a part to play in that well of course we do like god does everything we do something is the way that my bishop um teaches it um but uh you know what's what's heaped at us monergists is is um this idea that uh, well you guys don't care about personal responsibility or personal morality or or whatever um but but in fact and that uh, that has a name antinomianism which we reject right yeah right and and um we just want to emphasize uh, what we see in Scripture of, of God doing, you know, all the saving. Like, and, and, and it's kind of sinful and prideful to, say, you know, to suggest that we have, like, a big part to play in that. But uh, yeah. we should probably leave it there for now, huh? Yeah, so I, I think I would sum, summarize by saying this, that um, Christian holiness is, um, is God's gift to us, not our offering to him. And that we are, we are baptized into a new life. 
um, of holiness and purity. Not that mm. we uh, attain to holiness and purity and offer it up to God as as our our ticket into heaven, yeah. which is sort of and all, all of all of this is is totally without nuance <laughs> and right, really basic. Right. Yeah. I just I just didn't want to I didn't didn't want you to throw out Pelagianism without kind of um, yeah defining it. Yeah, a, a fun little fun little diversion. Yes. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's take a look at uh, at our theology segment. segment today um, we will be talking about the transfer that transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ I don't know why I couldn't say that forgive me um, today we're recording on Thursday August 6th and um, this is interesting this is one of three feast days in August um, uh, we have uh, the transfiguration today and we have uh, Mary the mother of our Lord on uh, the 15th and then we have Saint Bartholomew on the the 24th and Christopher you and I both had the same reaction to this and so we felt it was it was worth talking about which is um you and I at different points in our life have been surprised to find the transfiguration on August 6th Christopher where did could we for so long for so long simply assume that the transfiguration landed in the Christian calendar uh, the last Sunday of, or the last Sunday after, depending on who you are, um, <laughs> uh, the last Sunday of Epiphany. Um, so the, the the last Sunday before Lent is usually, well, is uh, the gospel reading is always the Transfiguration. Yeah, which is appropriate, right? Because that's the last event in the right. synoptic narratives before, as St. Luke says, he sets his face towards Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. um, from Mount Tabor, what it's traditionally believed, that's where it happened. Um, he begins to head south um, to Jerusalem and Holy Week, right? So that's kind of the and and there's something um, there's something climactic about um, oh, yeah. that moment as well, um, and we can talk a little bit about that. Um, it's uh, the well, yeah, fullest it's... revelation thus far of his divinity. Right. So Epiphany um, means like manifestation, like the manifestation of Jesus uh, to the nation. So um, uh, uh, we we see all these these manifestations of Jesus as not just a great teacher or healer, but of uh, as the promised one, as the Christ, um, the Son of the Living God. And um, yeah, that, that is like the fullest one to you know to see him in his in his glory. Um, Kirk, uh, I know we didn't plan to do this, but I, I wonder if you would um, if you would give uh, maybe the low church evangelical um, faithful uh, Bible believing Christian. Uh, who is who is perhaps starting to appreciate um, 
Christian heritage, the sense that we are part of something bigger. Yeah. Um, um, w- would you talk a little bit about this idea of a feast day and, and, a, and a calendar and, and these observations that do? Um, so uh, the, the, these days that are on our calendars, that it's like, oh, well, today is, um, you know, uh, the transfiguration. Like, what does it mean to observe that? And, and what does that mean to somebody who who is encountering this maybe for the for, for the first time? Yeah, Christopher, that's a great question. So I'd like to first refer back to, we have episodes um, and we have them titled, so you can go back and you can see where we've specifically addressed uh, the church calendar and talked briefly about that. So I'd refer Mm -hmm. first back to that. Um, But, uh, but, but it's worth revisiting as well. Um, But, but feast days, you know, are, are are things that even like good Anglicans today um, may not necessarily observe where, where they do observe the church seasons and the church calendar. Sure. Absolutely. So maybe this could be for the for the for the low church Anglican who's like, well, I'm I'm good with the seasons, but like, what's the deal with these feast days? Yeah. So the church is like like a like a glacier inspired by the Holy Spirit. As she slowly chugs through the ages, she picks up things along the way. Um, right. So during the time mm-hmm. of the apostles, um, when August sixth came around. They did not celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration. That was added much later. Um, but, but in her wisdom, inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit, um, the calendar has filled out um, with a faithful and reliable way for the believer to um, mark, read, mark, and inwardly digest um, these lessons, these events, these striking moments that are pivotal for our faith. Um, that teach us about our Lord. Um, uh, so this this feast day is um, an event. Other feast days, like for example, um, Saint Mary, Mother of our Lord, on the fifteenth, is not an event but a person, right? So so that, mm-hmm. that we mark that a little differently. Uh, but there are moments where, for an entire day, our prayers, scripture readings that we read, our focus, um, the way we think, is on one particular aspect of our Christianity. And I think this is important and vital and creates a, um, a, a true godly Christian piety um, because, uh, let me contrast this with, with Christopher, we love Calvinists, right? Mm-hmm. There are many Absolutely. Calvinists in Anglicanism, and yes. we, you cannot read our founding documents without recognizing that there is a strong Swiss Reformed uh, strain in the 39 articles in the Book of Common Prayer. Um, however, there's an aspect of, of Calvinist piety that we as Catholic small c Christians who observe the church calendar have to reject. And one of them is uh, the regulative principle, um, which says that anything that is not uh, prescribed by the Bible, uh, the Christian should not do. Right. So if the Bible doesn't say on August 6th, um, celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration, then you shouldn't. Um, and, and strict traditional historical Calvinists um, believe that that is so. And so, um, actually, we, there are some small Presbyterian church bodies that don't mark Christmas or Easter. Why? Mm. They say because every day is Easter. And mm. I say, <laughs> if every day is Easter, then no day <laughs> is Easter. <laughs> if every day is Christmas, then no day is Christmas. And if every day is Transfiguration then no day is transfiguration. It is good for our souls, I think, to have one day in which our prayers and our piety and our focus is lasered, zeroed in on mm. a particular event or, or, or saint. 
So that's just my brief appeal. What, what do you think of that, Christopher? Is that a good brief that's good. appeal? I like to it. Low, to low churchmen to maybe spend more time in the calendar. So how do you observe a feast day? Um, well, first of all, uh, the Book of Common Prayer has proper uh, lessons. <laughs> there are lessons. Mm-hmm. Read the lessons. There are, there are collects, that is to say a prayer. Um, pray the prayer. Uh, and then also it's called a feast day because that's in contrast with the seasons of fasting. So uh, the Christian life is, um, is, a, is a series of feasts and fasts. Mm-hmm. And um, again, <laughs> if, you never, if you never fast, right. Right. there aren't really any feast days. And so um, if you have uh, seasons of your life and days when you fast, uh, then when the feast days come, um, it's yeah. a, a, t- a foretaste of the divine banquet when we yeah. will sup again with our Lord. So, Well, and, it, and it's interesting uh, how, how people gravitate towards uh, asceticism, sort of, um, so that uh, people almost like Lent more than they like Easter because, um, <laughs> like, self-deprivation is, is, is satisfying in a weird way. Um, and yet we – I'm sure we've talked about this before, but, like, we don't really feast all that well. Um, and uh, I like how um, – what one person at our church took took feasting up as a spirit Easter's 50 days but the the first octave the first 8 days of Easter are kind of the most the the, the highest kind of most significant and for those 8 days yeah. he did his best to um to just connect with someone in the parish um and have a beer or have a meal or just like connect in some significant way and and that was really cool yeah, and that that first Friday after Easter is um, is uh, not a fast day. It's like I think one of two Fridays in which are not fasts: um, mm-hmm. the Friday after Christmas and the Friday after after Easter. That octave of Easter and the twelve days of Christmas. Just plow one through, man. Keep feasting. Keep feasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's great. I I I love that. Yeah. Um. I I, I will say in terms of like a theology of fasting, um, like on Easter Sunday. Um, as I'm waiting for dinner to fi- all be put out on the hmm. table after playing for multiple services um, uh, and I can smell the ham and the cheesy potatoes and the second glass of wine is going to my head. I'm like, this is why <laughs> we, we have feast days. Mm. Um, it's just, it's, it's a lovely prefiguring of the divine banquet um, mm-hmm. at the resurrection of the dead. So yeah, um, I, I do want to say just kind of two things about uh, the Transfiguration. Um, so the, the Transfiguration, very briefly, um, is this event where our Lord brings Peter, James, and John up to the Mount. Um, tradition has it that it's Mount Tabor, which if you Google image Mount Tabor, it's really weird. It's sort of in this plain, and then it's this kind of hill out of nowhere. Um, so it'd be kind of interesting. You kind of have this view um, across, uh, what is it, in the Kidron Valley? I don't want to make stuff up. Someday, Christopher, you and I should go. Um, yeah. We, <laughs> and, should do, we should do a Haber Bros trip. <laughs> yes, we should. Yes, we should. And um, there, uh, I, I like to think, sort of the, the human, I, I don't want to fall into Christological heresy, but like the human, he takes off the human mask and his full glory shines forth. Um, and Peter, James, and John are there. And um, uh, some church fathers have speculated that it is fortifying those three in particular who will have the most difficult time after the ascension. 
fortifying them with assurance and faith. Um, because it is interesting, Peter, James, and John, um, those are kind of the horses that are some of them, uh, of the apostles, the 12 apostles that are really leaned on. Um, but, any, but anyhow, they have this moment, um, uh, Moses is there, Elijah is there, um, and we see his, his glory shines forth. Um, I'd like just to read this, uh, this is a callback to last week, uh, John Mason Neal <laughs> translated um, an ancient hymn um, on, on the Transfiguration. It's called, O Wondrous Type, O Vision Fair. Um, and, uh, and it's great. O wondrous type, O vision fair, of glory that the church may share, which Christ upon the mountain shows, were brighter than the sun he glows. With Moses and Elijah nigh, the, incar the incarnate Lord holds converse high, and from the cloud the Holy One bears record to the only Son. With shining face and bright array, Christ deigns to manifest today what glory shall be theirs above who joy in God with perfect love. And faithful hearts are raised on high by this great vision's mystery for which in joyful strains we raise the voice of prayer, the hymn of praise. Mm. Uh, so there, there are sort of two, uh, two lessons, two kind of things that are happening at the transfiguration, it seems. Um, one is a prefiguring of the resurrection. Um, and the other is, uh, frankly, the, uh, res a revelation of the Holy Trinity. Um, Martin Luther uh, said that this was a, a prefiguring of our resurrection, and I quote, um, the resurrection of the dead and the future glory and brightness of our bodies are here shown. For this was something very remarkable, that Christ was transfigured while yet in mortal body, which was subject to, su which was subject to suffering. What then shall it be when mortality shall have swallowed up and nothing shall remain but immortality and glory. So what Luther is saying is that if this is Christ's mortal body before his resurrection and ascension, which shines forth with transfigured glory, how much then shall our bodies shine with immortality and glory when we are raised in a resurrection like his, as St. Paul promises? Um, and also, uh, we, we, we see here um, a revelation of the Holy Trinity, right? And we see the Father in the voice, the Holy Ghost in the bright cloud, and the Son, the Word of God, um, transfigured with glory shining from his face. So what a wonderful moment and worthy of a feast day. Mm -hmm. So should we move on to our culture segment or do you have anything uh, you want to talk about? Let's do culture. I'm so sorry, monologue man. I'm the great monologuer, I guess, on this show. Let's do our culture segment. So since you monologued on that, 
does that mean I get to uh, dominate this segment? I was really hoping you would do that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, no. Like, I, I, I want to hear. Uh, so, so we're going to talk in this culture segment. Um, so Kirk and his wonderful family watched the new film on Apple Plus TV, which, of course, everybody subscribes to. <laughs> um that's that's joke uh the only reason that i have access to apple plus tv uh which many of you probably don't even know is a service uh but if if you buy but an, it an is. apple product if you buy an apple product uh you get like a year's uh at least as they're launching the service like uh everyone's got their own streaming service now showtime does um everyone wants you to pay five to ten dollars a month i don't i don't even know what apple plus tv costs but um, because Meg got a new phone it's last October, like um, we got a year's worth. And uh, all I've watched on it was this movie that just came out, Greyhound. Um, and this week, you guys watched it. Yes, we did. Now, Greyhound is based on on a book by C.S. Forster called The Good Shepherd. Uh, Tom Hanks uh, saw this book in a bookstore. He liked the cover. He purchased the book read it and loved it and spent years writing a script which i think was um quite masterful and quite difficult i i not this was a difficult movie to make um considering the source material um and the way c.s forrester writes um kirk watched it with his father-in-law uh did. who who uh is a uh navy vet uh worked on submarines um and i had to warn kirk before he watched it i was like just you know, it's not a submarine movie. <laughs> it's actually more of an anti-submarine movie. Oh, because- I was definitely needling my father-in-law. Um, I'm like, Tom, the bad guys won. He's like, no, 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 no. The Americans won. The Germans lost. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 uh, you, you, Tom Hanks is is captain of of a uh, U.S. Navy destroyer um, that's being attacked. Uh, that's that's shepherding this convoy of supply ships uh, to Europe um, to help. Uh, uh, defeat Hitler. Um, and so every single supply was of crucial importance, um, across the the Atlantic and, um, and German U-boats were targeting them and, and essentially were rooting for the destruction of these German U-boats. And, uh, so I could, could not watch this movie Greyhound, uh, objectively. Um, so, uh, which I'll explain, this way um i I love the movie Mm. um i know Mm -hmm. it's not for everybody but i know people who watched the movie and read the book and didn't like the movie and i think that's that's very strange um i watched the movie before i read the book um but as i was watching the movie because i had read every single c.s forster um horatio hornblower novel um i could picture all the calculations the captain was making in his head um these things that that you couldn't write into a script. It would be really clumsy for the captain to be uh, dictating all the things that he's thinking about. Um, and yet uh, they were able to successfully think, I think it was, it was just a, a triumph of storytelling uh, in this movie for, um, for Hanks to kind of, uh, show what's on the written page of all the complex calculations that he's going through um not just calculations to to help uh kind of uh defeat uh, enemy u-boats and protect the convoy so um of uh, this is his first command and um he is commanding uh a polish uh 
military vessel and a Canadian one and uh, th- that have been at sea for months uh, doing the same thing. And they saw probably saw him as a rookie. And so he is um, kind of building uh, credibility with these other naval ships that he commands and with his own staff. So every single thing he says, he kind of calculates what's the best way to say this um, to help uh, this or even someone who screws up. Um, how do you admonish them without ruining the confidence? Uh, it, it's, it's just a, it's an amazingly technical. Uh, so the reason I say it's, it's not a movie for everybody because it's so technical. Like it, it's like all action. We have a few minutes at the beginning of the movie that honestly could have been cut of, of Tom Hanks. And uh, I, I, for whatever reason, her name's not coming to me. Um, Elizabeth Shue, um, kind of there's uh, kind of this love uh, interest just just the very beginning. He kind of proposes to her, and she's like, "Well, oh, let's wait till after the war." And then the rest of it is just action, and and very like um, uh, full right rudder, um, <laughs> you know, uh, right. straight, straight ahead, uh, bearing eight, you know, oh eight four, like all these things. But what I love about the way um, that that uh, C.S. Forster. Uh, is such a gifted storyteller that despite um, the overwhelmingly technical nature of the, the Hornblower novels and, and the Good Shepherd, um, that he, he does not err uh, in either direction. He does not um, condescend. He's not condescending and, and treats you as if you're stupid. Um, but also uh, it's, it's didactic that by the end, you feel like that, that, that he kind of, uh, helps you along so you actually feel like you know um about naval uh, tactics and stuff yeah yeah you and i have talked about this how after reading the hornblower now novels you have the flattering illusion of of (laughs) of comprehending naval jargon and naval strategy and tactics absolutely um, which is a very great skill by the author to to not make you feel dumb or not make you feel like you're in class or eating your vegetables but to bring you along so you're like you say things coming out of your mouth unironically, like, oh, yes, that was on the leeward side of the island or whatever, <laughs> right? <laughs> or, or hove to, or, yeah. Yeah, but, um, and so when I could recognize that C.S. Forrester was doing the same thing in this as he was doing yeah. in the whole yep. which is bringing you alongside very gently um, so that you, you, were in on the, you were in on the conceit, right? Like mm-hmm. when they're saying full throttle, full throttle full throttle <laughs> full rudder obviously i'm not even in the conceit because i can't even fake it right but exactly <laughs> i agree with your point entirely go on uh, actually i was gonna hand it off to you <laughs> uh yeah uh, yeah i agree with everything that you said um it's a remarkable movie if you have uh friends who have uh apple like the apple streaming service um watch it it's short it's like an hour and a half, an hour and 20 minutes. Um, it's very concise. Um, there's, there's, no, there's no real, no real bloat to it. Uh, there's no downtime. There's just very minimal backstory and then kabam, uh, you're, you're into the action. Um, I, it was a profoundly Christian movie. And I oh, think that's, I a, that's it. why it's oh my gosh. appropriate for our, um, for, for our show to talk about this. I want to talk about uh, two aspects of its Christianity. Uh, number one, uh, Forrester, I, I think, is is fascinated by and fixated on leadership. And um, you see this in Horatio Hornblower, um, the contrast in Hornblower between his inner monologue and then 
how brief and terse his commands are and his, and his facial expressions are, and how important he feels it is to say just the right thing to signal to his crew that he has confidence and command and nothing more, nothing extraneous, to not prattle on, to not convey um, confusion mm. or, uh, or a lack of confidence um, to his command. And I've, uh, I've, I was thinking about this, Christopher, that's not explicitly Christian. That's a kind of a classical virtue, a Greek or Roman virtue, sure, um, a, sto yeah. a stoicism. Um, but you, but you notice then there's a Christian element folded in as well, a gentleness um, in Tom Hanks's character, um, the way he, uh, his his the way he grieves for his um, for his cook, who seems to be when he's not cooking for uh, um, Cleveland. Do you remember Cleveland? When he's not cooking for uh, cat, the captain, he's helping put out fires. Do you recall that? Um, and and this is a brief spoiler. It's. Uh, um, he, he ends up end up dying, and Tom Hanks is greatly grieved. And so you see a, a deep humanity and a gentleness there. You also see a gentleness after he sinks his first submarine, his first German U-boat, and uh, everyone on the ship is rightly celebrating, right? I mean, this is a battle or life or death. The whole it's point them, is them to sink, sink yeah. or kill the enemy, and they're celebrating. And uh, Tom Hanks is just something gently reproving uh, one of the officers' celebration, saying, I right, say that's... What does he say? That's 55 like, that's Krauts 50. Dread, dead. And he's like, Tom Hanks says. They're, they're like, that's 50 fewer Krauts, you know. Like, and he great. says, that's 50 fewer souls. Or he says, Which, just that's 50 souls. That's 50 like, souls. Like, let's, let's remember that these are souls too. Yeah. yeah. So I find it interesting. You well, have this... well he, says, he says it very, like, yeah. He says it very, um, again, terse. Like, that, yeah. that's 50 souls. But he doesn't say anything else. It's yeah. a gentle reproof. A gentle reproof. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I think you see an interesting melding of the the classical pagan virtue of stoicism with the Christian virtue of gentleness and compassion. And I think there's, there's something of a picture of proper manliness um, in the combination of those two things. Uh, but the other thing, Christopher, do you know our mother with whom I watched this identified the prayers that Tom, Tom Hanks prayed in the, in the morning at the beginning of the movie and at the end? Mm. Do you know mm. why? Do you know why she identified them? Why? At the beginning, he prays a prayer, and I'll read it to you. Mom said, wait a minute, that's from Luther's morning prayer from his shorter catechism. Wow. And I opened it up, and it was. So the, the fragment that, he, that uh, Tom Hanks' character prays is, for into thy hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let thy holy angel be with me, that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Um, the entire prayer is lovely. Um, I thank thee, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, that thou hast kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray thee that thou wouldst keep me this day from, him, from sin and every evil, and that all my doings in life may please thee. And then the part that he prayed, for into thy hands I commend myself, my body and soul, all things. Let thy holy angel be with me, etc. Mom identified that. She, she nailed it. So I gather that in the book, uh, Hanks's father was a pastor. Um, yeah, I haven't gotten to that part yet, but okay. um, there is scripture throughout the book. Oh, yes. So every time he encounters, uh, he has a, a near miss or an encounter with, or anxiety, he's quoting Psalms constantly. Mm -hmm. um, but at the end, at the very end, there's a symmetry to this because the prayer he prays at the end when he kneels down 
and he opens a prayer book, just a generic prayer book. It, it's, it has to be Luther's Catechism because it is, it is um, uh, the evening prayer and mm. Luther's Catechism. Oh my gosh, this is a podcast. I'm showing, listener, I'm showing Christopher <laughs> on video. I'm holding up Luther's Catechism, um, but I'll read it. And this prayer, Christopher, I, I don't know if you've, you've been around when we said this. We've, we've dropped this. We now do strictly Book of Common Prayer, um, Compline or Evening Prayer I'm with my children. But I used to pray um, uh, Luther's prayer for, um, quote, how the head of the family should teach his household to pray morning and evening. And um, it's super short. And this is the prayer that I used to pray with my children. Mm. I thank thee, my heavenly father, through Jesus Christ, thy dear son, that thou hast graciously kept me this day. And I pray thee that thou wouldst forgive me all my sins where I have done wrong and graciously keep me this night. And then this is what, this is the excerpt that you saw in the movie. For into thy hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let thy holy angel be with me that the wicked foe may have no power over me. Amen. And then the rubrics say, and you probably have heard me say this to my children, then go to sleep at once and in good cheer. Mm. And that is precisely what the captain does. <laughs> yeah, I thought um, it was it was just beautiful the depiction of his faith. Um, I, so uh, I don't want to wade very much into spoiler territory, um, and I don't think this is a big spoiler. Only to say that there there are a few deaths on the ship, yeah. and there is a a brief funeral scene where they do burial oh. at sea, and oh. and I found that to be a very powerful scene um uh he's got a uh like a sticker or something with hebrews with the the verse from hebrews jesus christ is the same um now today and forever um or yesterday and today and forever um and and we see that a few different times during the movie and i th thought that was kind of powerfully um included you know it wasn't hitting you over the head but it showed you uh who Hanks was as a character and there's a certain gentleness and uh, about him um despite being a, ma a man a captain who who expected you know orders to be followed and 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 if people were going to, going to survive orders must be followed um and of and uh the book uh talks about all the discomfort that he's in um and in fact uh you, you kind of have to be a, a smart viewer as you pick up like you're like, oh, why is he asking for this coat to be laid on the radiator? Um, it's because like he doesn't have a spare second or a spare minute, um, right. and and so he's he's kind of route um, uh, roused and brought up to to the um, uh, to, to the bridge before he's really ready, and he's not really dressed for it, and it's freezing in there. It's they're in the North Atlantic, um, you know, the deck is icing up. Um, and he doesn't have his coat. He doesn't have his gloves. And like slowly throughout the movie, he has to kind of ask for the messenger um, when the messenger is not doing something else to go get them. Um, and he slowly kind of gets, you know, feeling back in his fingers and things like that. Mm. Um, but, but, um, but he's, he's basically at, uh, everyone around him is being relieved every four hours um, because it's insane to ask um, someone to, to be on duty for more than four hours, um, four hours on eight hours off. Um, and yet the captain for, I don't even know how many hours this is, 30 hours, um, 30 straight hours. Like he goes without sitting down, without really eating in the movie. Um, uh, because like it all, 
this whole burden lies on the captain. Like you can't just pass this off when the, when the ship is in danger, the captain um, must. And so, I mean, by the end, his feet are bleeding. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's hungry, all these things. Um, and yet when he returns to his cabin, finally, uh, what does he do? Does, does he throw himself in the bed and fall asleep? He ne- No, he kneels to pray. Yes. And for, for me, that was, that was really powerful. Yeah. And it, uh, the, the, the order of service, um, there, there's just, there's about 45 seconds of prayer, state prayer from the Naval order of service. And the Navy tradition is, you're, you're is, saying in, in the funeral, in the funeral. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Navy tradition is interesting and we inherited this, our, our Navy inherited this from the British Navy. Um, uh, on the Sunday services were to be read by the captain, Christopher, you remember this from Horatio <laughs> yes. Hornblower, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, who, who loved reading the service, though privately he was an agnostic. Um, he, he, the kind of the, the liturgy of it was, was striking to him. I mean, you see this as well. Um, the captain is the one who, who reads the service. And um, it's remarkable, the prayer, the prayer for the committal, unto almighty God, we commend the soul of our brother departed and we commit his body to the deep in mm, the sure and yes, certain yes. hope of the resurrection unto eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. <laughs> that is actually in a movie in 2020. Can you even believe that, Christopher? That Wasn't that just incredibly striking? It was amazing. It was amazing. Was that, was that the extent of it? Or was, I thought there was also there some might have been a bit of, more. of like the sea, like uh, I could be making this up, but I thought there's also some imagery of, of the sea, like, almost belching up the, you know, the, the bodies on, on the last yes. day at the resurrection. Yes. Wasn't there something, it, it was much more poetic language than belching, but like. Yes. Until pours forth or gives back the bodies of, yeah. Right. I think I, I just looked up um, the current Naval services, which yeah. have, have probably been pared down and a lot of the lovelier poetry has probably been <laughs> omitted, but yeah, no, it was profound. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly. Yeah. So uh, are you, are you aware, can you get like a free trial for Apple TV Plus for, for our listeners who, who maybe don't want to spend five bucks or whatever it costs for a month of this? Can you get like a seven-day trial for free? I'm taking because, a look at I that. I mean, I, I think this movie is, is really worth watching. Um, I was initially going to watch it with, with my kids and, and my wife. Uh, I don't think they would have liked it. Kirk, did your kids like it? Yes, riveted. They did? Okay, all right. It looks like a, there's a seven-day trial. Yeah, and um, because it's a streaming service, you know, uh, you know, when you hear Apple, like, don't don't just think phone. Like, uh, whatever uh, device you use to stream on your television, uh, probably it, has um, that app, Roku or um, or Amazon Fire Stick. Um, yeah, it should have the app for it. Yeah, good stuff, Christopher. Shall we close in prayer? Let's do it. The Lord be with you, and with your spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, give us the increase of faith, hope, and love, and that we may obtain what you have promised. Make us love what you command. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, who in your wrath sent a plague upon your own people in the wilderness for their obstinate rebellion against Moses and Aaron. And also in the time of King David sent a plague of pestilence, which killed 70,000. But remembering your mercy spared the rest. 
have pity upon us miserable sinners who now are visited with great sickness and mortality. And in the same way that you then accepted an atonement and commanded the destroying angel to cease from punishing, so may it now please you to withdraw from us this plague and grievous sickness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. O God of unchangeable power and eternal light, look favorably on your whole church, that wonderful and sacred mystery, by the effectual working of your providence, carry out in tranquility the plan of salvation. Let the whole world see and know that things were cast down, things which were cast down are being raised up, and things which had grown old are being made new, and that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Amen. Next week, Kirk. Next week, Christopher.